this is Pastor Reginald J. Houston, proud pastor of Johnson Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church in the lovely Lake Como area. We greet you in Jesus' joy. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Truly, we are we are grateful and appreciative that you are with us this morning. We pray that God will continue to bless you and your family in wholeness and health and lead us into everlasting life. Let us pray. Gracious God in heaven, we are so thankful for your presence in this place this morning. We love you. We adore you. We magnify your name. We we understand that there's nothing we can do if we try to do it by ourselves. But with you helping and lifting us up, all things are possible. Grant us this morning that the time we share together with the listening audience, that you would keep them in your, in your care, give them a listening heart, that something will be said that will bless their household and increase them in healing and wholeness. We, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and put us back on the path that you would have us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our, our lesson will be taken from the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 9. St. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. And this is what is recorded in God's word. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See, that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. For the time that is allotted unto us in sharing this morning, I want to talk about three questions that pinpoint your purpose. Three questions that pinpoint your purpose. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Three questions that pinpoint your purpose. If not you, who? If not now, when? If not here, where? Three questions that pinpoint your purpose. Pray with me as we walk together, pieces of the way home. The scene of our worship experience takes place in the midst of the journey to Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, the city set on the hill, is a place where Jesus will be crucified, will be tortured, will be nailed to an old rugged cross. Still, he heads that way. There are different kinds of people in the crowd that followed Jesus. A crowd is following him with different kind of people. These people have different agendas, different ideals, and different reasons for following. I would imagine if it was a contemporary crowd, you'd have proud boys, card-carrying proud boys, and Black Lives Matters marches and could be in this crowd. All kind of people are in the crowd. I would imagine that you have segregated GOPs, Sadducees, and political astute Pharisees trying to find fault trying to cast blame they are somewhere in this crowd it's possible that there's someone who acts like wishy-washy McConnell whose actions much resemble Pilate. Could be trying to orchestrate how people should walk in this crowd. All kinds of folk are in the crowd following Jesus. But there is also, as text tells us, there's also two struggling and unfortunate pilgrim travelers who just happen to be blind. They're in the crowd. They're in the crowd because they have heard of the fame of Jesus. It's in there, verse 26. And since faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, these lesser than societal outcasts with no disability benefits have made it their purpose in life to give friendship, fellowship and worship to Jesus' leadership. That's why they are in the crowd. It is their purpose in life. These two blind men to get off the highway of homelessness and being hungry all the time and handicapped and try to find an exit ramp that leads to eternal life. The blind men. Is there a purpose in life to follow Jesus in hope of a miracle? Can I, can I just tap the brakes of our blessing and ask ever so briefly, is there anyone listening that's following Jesus in hope of a miracle? Are you here praying that God will do something supernatural for you so that your life will have a more focused meaning? 
one writer said that once the first step to healing and wholeness is a step of admission that something is seriously wrong. Are you in the church seeking a purposeful understanding that if it had not been for the Lord on your side, where would you be right now? One writer so aptly said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. For the true measure of life is not in its duration, but in its donation. Tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. Permit me in passing to share with you that my father had a philosophical nature, but only an eighth grade education. It's hard for me to understand how he made it so far in life with only an eighth grade education, but he did use mother wit and his mother's prayers to become a master sergeant in the army. He taught his three sons a wonderful lesson, and he was said over and over all the time, take life the way you find it, but leave it better after you're gone. Life is often described as a journey. Him of the church says, life is like a mountain railroad. With an engineer that's brave, you must make the run successful from the cradle to the grave. However, in, in our household, the Houston household, the analogy or the simile for life was that it was like a card game. And you couldn't use an excuse for there's no such thing as God dealt you a bad hand. For each hand dealt to you represented determination and an opportunity for a community. The way you played it, it was up to you. Kenny Rogers was always there to remind us you've got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money while you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the deal is done. This analogy has pitfalls because it makes us think that we are the ones dealing the cards when we are wrestling with issues and tissues of life. But not so. We're never dealing. We're just holding and trying to figure out when to play the cards in our hand. And the fact of the matter is many of us are just sitting at the table. And the problem arises when you realize much too late that you are holding the wrong kind of cards. It's not that you've been dealt a bad hand, you've just been playing with the wrong cards. Our text suggests that these two blind men were somewhere around Jairus' house when Jesus had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And just like that, they had confidence in the evidence that if Jesus could do that for, for Jairus, there was hope for them. They were blind. They couldn't see the miracle. They only heard about it. Many folk today still believe that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and 6. Faith without works is dead. These two blind men 
began to follow Jesus. You could hear them stumbling over rocks, tripping over holes in the road, bumping into people, getting cursed at. Life had dealt them an obstruction of justice, not aces, kings, queens, or jacks, but twos, threes, fours, and fives. Different kind, different cards of different colors and different denomination. Cards that usually lose and hardly win. But still, they press their way, trying to get close up to the faultless one. Close up to the faultless one. For no one could dissuade them or make them stop following Jesus because they knew that their blindness was only temporary and and a partial shutdown. Surely someone will ask, if they are blind, how could they follow? I submit for your consideration that they are following the sound of the crowd and the sermonic, soothing voice of Jesus the Christ. We don't hear the hymn anymore, but many of us cut our teeth on it. I come to the guarding alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. He speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me tells me I am his own. That's the voice that they were following. They couldn't see the man, but they could hear the voice and faith cometh by hearing. Permit me to help somebody here. For many folk believe what many church marquees are saying. This is your year. If one goes to church regular, hear the word, and pay tithes, everything will be all right. But I tell you, church membership won't make everything all right. Faith not only must be heard and examined, faith must be exercised. Faith is like a golf swing. It's not just about the grip or the color of the golf ball. It's about the follow-through if you want distance. You've got to act on what you believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And that's why the Bible sets the record straight. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, Noah prepared the ark. By faith, Adam went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. You can't just sit on a pew here and believe. Faith must be exercised. Faith needs a follow through. These two blind men did something. They acted irrational. They acted off the chain. They acted out of the box. They did something. They did it a certain way. They did what they did continually, repetitively, something annoying. They started crying after Jesus, screaming above the crowd. And they refused to stop. You couldn't make them shut up. They wouldn't let up. They wouldn't let go. The whole way they shouted, Son of David, show us mercy. Over and over and over again, they tried to get Jesus' attention. Son of David, show us mercy. 
Saints of God, they had to write cards. But they couldn't read them because they couldn't see them. So they used what they had. All they had was a holler, a shout, a yell of helplessness, a cry for mercy. Note two things worth recognizing. One, these blind men are at the back of the crowd screaming. And it appears that as Jesus moves along the street, he does not, does not pay them any attention. Looks like Jesus is disregarding their need. Have you ever been there? Have you, have, have you ever prayed and it seemed like Jesus wasn't listening to your prayers or answering? It looks like. Jesus is disregarding their need. It appears that Jesus sees them like the crowd sees them. Insignificant, helpless, and not worth the effort. He just keeps on going. And they just keep on crying out and screaming for mercy. Finally, the Bible says that when Jesus gets to the place where he's going and goes into the house, the crowd stops outside. Don't miss that. The crowd stops outside. They act as though there's a no trespassing sign on the door. It's there for everybody but Jesus. If truth be told, most of us listening experience our worst difficulties in life because we followed the wrong crowd. I know that's what happened to me. But the, the blind men refused to stop outside with the crowd. They follow inside. They kept listening to the voice. They are not timid or care what others think. They have no shame to their game. They go boldly to the throne of grace to find help in a time of need. Now, along the way, Jesus never says anything to them. But the Bible says in the house, in the house, he speaks to them directly and says, do you believe that I'm, I am able to do this? And they say, both men, yes, Lord. Can I remind you that in the street, while they were screaming and crying, they called him son of David, which is a form of flattery and honor. But when they, get, when they got close up, their response was, yes, Lord. Permit me to remind you that lordship acknowledges his dominion and sovereignty and confesses in faith that Jesus is able to give them their sight, though they, they didn't ask for sight. Some of us are with the wrong crowd who, or with the crowd who stopped outside, failed to come in the house because we know the Lord is bread in a starving land, but we don't know him as Lord. We know Jesus as a present help in trouble and a way out of no way, but we don't own him as Lord. He's a wheel in the middle of a wheel and a word in a vat of dry bones, but he is not sovereign and we have not given him the right of way to have his way. These two blind men were compa companions in misery. They were companions in misery. Both were blind, but after Jesus laid his hands on them, they became companions in mercy. God dealt with them according to their faith, simply because they sought the right thing. Note, not once did they ask Jesus to deliver them from blindness or make them to be able to see. 
they didn't ask for a healing of their eyes. They asked for mercy. Mercy, saints of God, is an expression of kind consideration, compassion, and pity that brings relief to needing the disadvantage. Mercy is unmerited favor and sympathizes with the misery of another. They just asked for mercy, and they asked it from the only one who could grant their petition, and that's Jesus. Some of us have a bad habit of needing a second opinion. We'll go to the church, but then we want a second opinion, and then we go to friends for consolation. But usually, I say usually, we find them complaining too. We need to go to the only one that can do what no other can do. Note in closing, our theme is three questions. Three questions that pinpoint your purpose. If not you, who? If not now, when? If not here, where? There comes a time when you have to seek God's favor. For in each time a miracle is wrought in chapter 9. Don't miss this. And God shows his willingness to help heal and deliver and bring favor into the house. There's a word there called behold. It's a, it's a powerful word. And if you ever get a chance, find out in the language of God how he uses the word B-E-H-O-L-D, behold, which means get ready and pay attention. Behold brings favor into the house. And it will bring favor into your house. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. Behold, a man with palsy. Verse 3. Behold, scribes talking and murmuring. Verse 10. Behold, Jesus is eating with sinners. Verse 18. Behold, Jerry's daughter is dead. But his face says, it's not about a fat, it's not, it's not about a fat lady singing. It's about Jesus laying his hands on her so that she might live again. Look at verse 20. A woman with an issue of blood. But there is a behold in her faith that makes her reach and touch the hem of his garment. And finally, in verse 32, when the men who, who were blind are walking out of the house, behold, they pass others at the door, and they are bringing a dumb man possessed with the devil inside. They, there, there is also a behold when God gives favor. Faith allocates victory over reality. These men were once blind, but their faith in Christ gave them victory over their reality. When they left Jesus, they could read the cards they were holding. They had the right cards, and they could read the bottom line. For this church, for the church to grow, I submit to you that we must draw and step over what has happened in the past. and find out what God wants us to do in the future. That's how we pinpoint our purpose. It's an obstruction of justice that you have been in, in and around the church all this time, and you still don't know who to ask for help or what to ask for. Put your cards down and know that who and what is critical, critically important. But when and where supplies tissues for your issues, Put your cards on the table because when is right now. 
and where is right here. The Bible says, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Now is the acceptable time to set your house in order. If not now, when? If not here, where? If not you, who? You don't have to be a king or queen to win, but you can be more than a conqueror if you follow the king of kings. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The Bible says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he will give to you the desires of your heart. If you're weak, he'll give you strength. If you're lonely, he'll stick closer than a brother. If you're depressed, he'll give you joy. Before I take my partial shutdown, please permit me and pass and remind you, this year it is imperative that you know four things while you're sitting at the table thinking you have been dealt a bad hand that God doesn't really care about you. You must know four things, who, what, where, and when. I'm so glad I know who. His name is Jesus. He's, he's my way maker, my mediator, my prince of peace, my high priest, my high tower, Lord and Savior, and my deliverer. For Abraham, he was a prepared sacrifice. For Moses, he was a burning bush pillar, cloud, and fire. For Aaron, he was a rod that budded. Gideon, he was the angel of the Lord. For Ruth, he was the kinsman redeemer. Samuel, he was ark of the Lord. Elijah was a small, still voice. Ezekiel, he was a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Daniel had a handwriting on the wall. Who does God say? My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You got to know who to ask what to ask for. These blind men ask for mercy. It's amazing to me how all of this is going on. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. He never, he never falters. He never flickers. He heads straight to the place where he knows men will crucify him. Yet still, he continues the journey. He came unto his own. His own received him not, but his men received him. To them gave you power to receive, to, to be received the son, be received as the sons and daughters of God. I'm glad today that I know him for myself. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us favor. May God bless you. May God keep you as our prayer. Thank you so much for listening. I pray this word has been a blessing to you to pinpoint your purpose. Amen.